A Fork on the Road is brought to you by GoDaddy. Well, they have everything you need to put your business online, find new customers, and kick butt online. They started by registering... says kick ass online. I don't want to say ass. But that's what GoDaddy wants you to say. No, I don't want to say GoDaddy's all that. about ass. Have you not seen Danica Patrick? She's fabulous. She is. Right, you can get you started by registering a domain name and creating your website with GoDaddy's easy-to-use website builder. Already have a site? Keep it running fast with GoDaddy web hosting. It's go time. Visit, Visit GoDaddy.com. Enter promo code FORK32 and save 32% on your new purchases. Some limitations apply. Always. With See everything. See the website for details and then get ass kicking online. Get butt kicking with GoDaddy. Whatever. Way down among Brazilians, coffee beans grow by the billions. So they've got to find those extra cups to fill. They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. You can't get cherry soda, cause they've got to fill that quota. And the way things are, I'll bet they never will. They've got a zillion tons of coffee in Brazil. Welcome to another edition of the web's number one food and travel talk show. I am travel guru Mark DiCarlo, and next to me is the lovely, the talented, and soon-to-be Chicago-bound traveling diva, Yenny Alvarez. Well, hello there. I'm very excited about going to Chicago. It's a great city, great food. Hopefully, I can find a salad somewhere in the middle of all that great Good food. luck. <laughs> uh, next week, we're going to be doing a remote broadcast uh, live from the Randolph Street Market, the one of the top ten according to USA Today, festival and markets in the country. So it's like a big antique market. There's food. Ooh, there's, antique. There's Do uh, not let me buy music. It's going to be a fantastic thing. And you know what? The people in Chicago are so happy with their summer festivals because their winters are so horrible, beastly. Just awful. So this is, this is the first time they're having it outdoors this year. People are going to be in tight t-shirts and short shorts. It's going to be Fantastic. We're going to be thrilled to be there. We're going to be doing our broadcast there Saturday, the 24th of May. And uh, then uh, on Sunday, the 25th of May at noon, my band, Old Blues Eyes, is going to be playing for a couple hours with a special surprise guest. I'll tell you who it's going to be. It's Wayne Baker Brooks. You What? Yes. Wayne Baker Brooks is playing with our band. Hello. Oh, that's exciting. Blues superstar Wayne Baker Brooks playing with us. That's Sunday at noon. And Saturday at noon, we're going to be doing a live remote broadcast of this show from the Randolph Street Market. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, come by and say hi. Be in the audience. Win some prizes. We're going to be giving away some travel. We're going to be giving away some delicious blue cheese stuffed olives mm. uh, from our friends at M&M and all kinds of it's cool a surprises. cheese. It is. So if you're in the Chicago area, uh, you can check out uh, the RandolphStreetMarket.com or just follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'll be tweeting uh, a discount ticket where you can get tickets for only five bucks. So just uh, check in with my uh, Instagram, which is TV, or I'm on Twitter at MarkDeCarlo. And Yenny is... On Twitter at Traveling Diva and Instagram Yenny Alvarez. So there you go. You listen to our show, you follow us, you get all kinds of great deals for where we're going to be. So that's Chicago this coming up weekend. But on this show right now, we got a great show lined up for you. Yes, we do. We have, uh, we're going to learn all about coffee. We're going to find out how to buy the best coffee maker because anyone that's into food, and I'm assuming that if you're listening to this show that you're you are. You're into food. You want to start your day or end your meal with a nice cup of joe. Or chai, which what I've been into lately. Right. So uh, we have an expert, a uh, writer who's uh, done a lot of research on different kinds of coffee makers and how coffee is made. She's going to be on the show a little bit later on. We're also going to be talking to um, 
My friend Tim Scott, who left America three years ago. Talk about a radical sabbatical. Right. And he's living in Asia. He just got tired of the L.A. rat race, quit his job as a TV executive, and moved to Asia. And he was in... And where uh, does he live? He was in Jakarta for three years, and now he lives in Cambodia. Cambodia. What's he, the region's name? It's the the the, the, the it's, country it was, is called Cambodia. The city is called Phnom Penh. That's the it, city. It sounds like Phnom Penh. Phnom Penh. Yes, he lives in a he lives in a he lives in a punchline. Phnom <laughs> Penh. Um, so we're gonna have we have great a great for a comedian. <laughs> great uh, interview with Tim. He was one of the writers and producers on Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Really funny guy, and he's got some interesting perspectives on what it's like to be an American living abroad. Not as a crossdresser, he's actually a very heterosexual <laughs> male, but he's living and, abroad, not as abroad. Right, and he says he may never come back. So those well, of he you, he has the life. Yeah, who would want to come back? He has the life. He has a great job. Well, we'll, 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 hear we'll talk to him it. in a little bit. But it's an interesting perspective on those of you that are thinking of maybe having a sabbatical or leaving the country or relocating. So some interesting travel stuff uh, happening today. Uh, if you've missed any of our past shows, you can always check us out at a forkontheroadshow.com. And as I mentioned, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, or on iTunes and Sideshow Network uh-huh. and SoundCloud. Right. We are the number one travel and food show on the web. We have over 750,000 listeners. we got to hit a million this year. We're trying to get to a million by the 4th of July. So tell your friends. Tell your friends. And we'll do something really special for you. Subscribe to the show. It's free. It's fun. We get you lots of travel deals, especially if you follow us and introduce you to a lot of interesting chefs and people. Yeah. And, uh, and you know what? If you send us emails telling us that you're telling your friends and people subscribe, when we hit one million, we'll do whatever you guys want us to do. Yes. It'll be an audience participation, audience directed yep. show. So send us an email. Let us know. Right. But until then, you're going to listen to what we damn well say you're going to listen to. <laughs> And uh, this week, it's all about uh, coffee and Cambodia, right? What about Cambodian coffee? You know what? We, we'll have to ask Tim about that. Uh, so we're getting ready, excited about Chicago this weekend. Uh, what do we have for this week, this show right now today? Well, this show right now, you know I'm a coffee person. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Yenny was born in Cuba and makes... Fan- Amazing coffee. If she does say so herself. But only in the morning. Right, right. <laughs> Well, your whole family makes good coffee. That Cuban coffee, it's delicious. Well, all Cubans do. I'm not the only one. Why is it? Why is coffee so popular for Cubans, as I take a sip of mine? Um, I'm not sure why it's so popular for Cubans, but I think, you know, it's an easy thing to make. It's something that you can harvest over there. And although Cuban coffee is not that great, Cuban coffee from Cuba, not that great. No, most of the good coffee comes from Colombia and from Africa, actually. Or Miami. (laughs) Okay. I know the stuff we drink, Cafe Bustelo, that comes from Miami. Oh, my God. It's so good. That's considered Cuban coffee, but it's um, made here. In America? And I think it's Arabica. What? It's made in America? Yeah. My Cuban coffee's made in Well, you know what? I will research that and let you know. Actually, you know, the most popular drug in the world is caffeine, which would be obvious to you if you've ever walked through an airport at 6 o'clock in the morning and seen the zombies lined up at the Starbucks gate. I have no problem with that. Like animals. I love coffee. I love the taste of coffee. I love the smell of coffee. It actually wakes me up. I know. Well, but the the, I love to mess with the people that are just standing there in line like they're zombies. Because literally, they're just... They're just breathing air well, you know, until they can get their coffee in them and then they're... Well, yeah. It's, it's the, I drink the, the second most sold commodity in the world. Did you know that? Do you know what the first one is? I'm going to say pussy. No. 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 Don't say right. that word. I bet I'm right. Okay. Right, no, sex? it is not. It's oil. It's oil. The second like most sold commodity in the world. Massage oil or no, fuel Jesus oil? H. 
fuel oil is the first commodity, most sold commodity bet, around the world. No, then bet, the next one is I, coffee. I bet more people then, are screwing than driving. Oh my god! There's six billion people in the world. They didn't get there. You by drive dri- longer than you do the other thing. Maybe. Stop it! All right. So, I don't say bad words for those. Of, so those the first, so the number, all right, so it's the second most traded commodity in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was discovered. Do you, okay, let's test you out. Let's see Mr. Trivia Man. There you go. You know, Mr. I am the winner, all- champion of, what was it, Pyramid? No, Jeopardy, what was it? I am the all-time champion of TV's sale of the century. That's it. Google that. If you're looking for a laugh, go on YouTube and Google sale of the <laughs> and century. And you'll see Mark him at 22 years old going, ah, uh, <laughs> But I won. But you looked so cocky in there. I almost lost. That yeah, was, you that did. That was a scary experience. I wonder what that lady is today. We should find her and interview her. She, oh, you know what? That would be interesting. Yeah, it would she be. Was, she was kind of a pain in the ass, though. Kind of a pain so, in the ass. So, you know what? Years so later, feel... where is she now? Let's find her and interview her. See how... Because you lost by default. That's true. No, I won by default. You, I mean, you won by default. Yeah. She lost by default. That's right. I lucked out. <clears throat> I wonder what she was thinking at the time. So let's let's see let's test your trivia skills Fine. after how many years of being the champion of the show. Let's see how Bring good it. you remember this. How was coffee discovered? Uh, it was discovered. It was discovered in the hills of Utah by a man named Joseph Smith. He found what? Oh, no, oh, no, no. those are the Mormon tablets. Um, <laughs> coffee was probably discovered in Africa by people, workers who needed a little boost, and they started picking beans off a tree, and they'd get a little buzz. But how off do these... they know? How do they know that the beans would give them a buzz? Because people eat everything. Have you never been around a little kid? No, that's not how they knew. It was discovered in Ethiopia by a herd of goats. And uh, the goat herders saw the goats kind of prancing around and dancing, and they figured out that it was because they're eating these berries. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> the goats were the goats were wired. I, I did not know that. So the guys are like, "Geez, whatever the goats are eating is something that we should try." Yeah. So they said, "Hey." So then they pick know. the beans because coffee beans in the raw are like green. They're not. Uh, they're like they are yeah, like berries. And they, they, no, the berries are red. So you but pop the them and the in- bean inside of them, they're kind of greenish looking. They're right. not completely black. So we're actually eating the seed, the ground up seed of the coffee berry is what coffee is made of. Yes, okay. correct. And it's roasted and, you know, all that good stuff. And then it comes out this delicious, yummy aroma. More that- trivia. More trivia. Okay. The, um, what is, you, you know this one because we've tasted this. What is the most expensive coffee in the world? Oh, it's the coffee that comes out of the animal's butt. Yep. Yeah. Do you remember when we tasted it? We in Hawaii. No, it Amsterdam? was no, it was a um, Italy. Los, no, Los Angeles. Oh. Stop it. It was Los Angeles uh, Food Festival, mm-hmm. and uh, I never knew this existed. But I see this coffee, and they're talking about the coffee is a thousand dollars for four ounces. Mm-hmm. You have to buy that when you buy it. It's a thousand dollars for four ounces on Amazon. Yet they were mysteriously giving it away for free at a festival, so I doubt that well, it's really. Well, I think they, because they, because people paid money to go into this festival and you could drink it, and they only gave you like a little sip. Um, it wasn't that great. No, tell people. Tell like poop. Tell where it comes from. <laughs> it it's called Kopi Luwak. It's uh, Indonesian. We should have asked. Uh, we should have asked him about that. They're coffee berries that get eaten and digested by a little. It looks like a ferret, and it's called the Asian palm civet. And it, it when they poop it out, <laughs> people go in. They you know get the berries. They get digested. The process of digestion turns them into something else, and then they pick the berries and then they make coffee out of that. No, I want to so, know the guy who thought of that. I could see looking at a goat. 
that's dancing the cha-cha and going, oh, I want to try that. But who was the first guy to pick stuff out of an animal shit and then roast it and drink it? We should find him and interview him. Well, I'm sure he's long dead. Coffee's been around well, a long time. Yeah, but not this coffee. I don't Find know him. I would love to talk to him. Indone- we have to he's go either, to Indonesia. He's either really bored or was on ayahuasca or some bizarre drug. <laughs> Most likely he was bored. It's, an, it's Indonesia. Okay, so what is the uh, city that consumes seven times more coffee than people from any other U.S. city? And you probably know this one. Uh, I would imagine it's New York City. It is. Very, how? How? How do you think? Because of that? everyone in New York's an asshole, and they're all jacked oh up on coffee God. all the time. No, because New York City is the center of the world, and you can get everything done there before noon. That's why. And I think coffee helps that. Uh-huh. Coffee and all the major coffee brands and franchises are all in New York City, so you can find any type of coffee from the U.S. In really? New York City. Can you get Dunkin' Donuts coffee there? Yes, you can. Can you get Seven Eleven coffee? You can get Intelligentsia. Oh. La Columbe, which I found in Chicago, mm-hmm. and it is the most delicious espresso, and it'll get you wired. Like Lavazza and Illy. I think that that's like the top most wiry coffee. Lavazza, Illy, and La Columbe. And La Columbe has this um, delicious chocolate on the sweeter side, not too bitter. It's insane delicious. Would you like some La Columbe, baby? <laughs> I'm awake now. <laughs> All right, next thing. Um, did you know, so so? what is the first thing that attracts you about coffee? Because you smell. drink decaf. It's the smell. The smell. Well, did you know that a lot of it, um, when you go into a store, could be fake? What? Yeah. No, you're saying yeah. people are lying to me for the purposes of marketing? Well, that wonderful scent in your coffee store uh-huh. could be fake because companies like Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, they use um, a fake coffee smell to entice the people. It's called Scent Air, and it's a scent provider that... <laughs> It's just so what I'm smelling in a Starbucks store is not, not the coffee. Roasting. It's like like a like a thing that you hang from the mirror of your car. No, it's a machine that brings out this air, and I don't know how they get the air in there, but they also inject that same air into cans of like Nescafe. When you open it, you know that great aroma. Mm-hmm. It keeps that aroma in there. So they inject the aroma into cans of Nescafe. There's they nothing have that real anymore. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> not not in the U.S. it isn't. Damn. Everything's fake. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, I know. But, as you know, the same way that those things fake you out, there's things that you find out about people and about coffee culture that bring you back to reality. Like, do you know what Café Sospeso is? Sospeso? Sospeso. It's what uh, a guy with a lisp calls espresso? No. Café Sospeso means suspended or pended coffee. Um, it's a tradition to buy an extra cup of coffee for a future customer that doesn't have any money. And it started in Italy, so that's why of it course, has the Italian name. all great things started. Oh, I love that place. So people will go into a shop and, you know, they'll, they'll ask for, um, you know, do you have any Café Sospesos? And if somebody went in there before and paid for your coffee, then they'll give it away to people. Some guy last year. It's like um, leaving a penny, leaving that extra penny in a little thing. Exactly. So people buy a cup of coffee for someone else. So last year in 2013. Paying it forward. Yeah, pretty much. So again, last year in 2013, there was a guy that bought 500 cups of coffee for someone, and that that incited the the movement in well, in the U.S. Well, I don't know if it's that. <laughs> well, in the 500 in the US. cups of coffee would incite a hell of a movement. <laughs> Which takes me to my next thing. Mm-hmm. How many cups of coffee do you think that you can drink before it's bad for you? What's the legal limit? The legal limit? Because it can kill you, you know. I have no idea. A hundred cups of coffee in a day? Yes. And uh, the world record is 82 cups of coffee. Oh, my God. I know. 
Can you imagine? It's like those people that we see out at the uh, Wing Festival in Buffalo. They have 80 or 90 buffalo wings in a day, and they just it's like a regular day at the office for them. Yeah, but that's too much. You can't even find a stick of celery in that place. No, no. I mean, you can eat a lot of buffalo wings, and they're freaking delicious. Mm-hmm. They're delicious, but wow. Okay. After a while, you're like, okay, you know I'd meat. be done with it, yeah. So, yeah, just watch your coffee intake. <laughs> but if you drink coffee, there's a good chance that you're going to live longer. Who do you think has lasted the longest by drinking coffee? Human beings. No. There were two cats that drank coffee every day. Like jazz musicians? No. Like cats? No. Cats. There was cream puff. Murray and Barbara cats. No. From Great Lek, New Island. No. Great Neck, Long Shush. Island. What is it? The oldest cat ever was Cream Puff, who lived to be 38 years old and died in 2005. Mm. And uh, the owner fed her every morning with bacon, eggs, and broccoli, along with coffee. Really? Yes. 38-year-old cat. Yes. And he also had another um, cat, Grandpa Rex Allen, that lived to be 34, who also was fed the same diet. I mean, bacon, eggs, and broccoli, okay, that's fine. But I think coffee is the main ingredient there because she fed they fed the cats coffee every day. Well, it's a lot of protein, protein and caffeine. That's what Americans, that's what humans drink and eat. And we live and to be eat, 30. We live Japanese, to be 35, typically. The Japanese swim in it and bathe in it in coffee in Japan. I know. I've seen those uh, videos on the internet. I've bathed in green tea, and I was wired, so I, I can't even imagine. Why did you bathe in green tea? There's a spa in Koreatown. It's called the uh, Olympic Spa LA, mm-hmm. here in LA. And uh, they have different pools. And one of the pools is green tea. And you get in there, and, and you absorb it through your skin, and you're like, ah, jittery. Wow. Instead of a bathing suit, do you wear just like a little tea bag on your privates? Actually, it's a naked spa. Oh, naked girls and green tea. Well. Yet another video I'd like to see. (laughs) Well, there was a lot. I'm not a Republican and there was a lot of bush. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, who invented instant coffee? Uh, I believe it was Clarence Birdseye. No, Nescafe. It was the... the, what? Who? It was George Washington. Well, a guy named George Washington. Not. Yes, not the so George So not the president of the country and not the George <laughs> no. Washington carver that uh, invented the peanut. No. Uh, they He invented, some. you know, some guy named George Washington uh-huh. invented um, instant coffee and they gave it to the troops. Oh, sure. Another advance of uh, technology spurred on by warfare. Yes. Right, because the soldiers needed coffee. To be at their best. Yeah, it right. wasn't. It wasn't Starbucks. They said it wasn't very good. It but was, it was still coffee. Yes. Coffee, cigarettes, and chocolate, and yeah. nylons got us through the war in Europe. Coffee, cigarettes, and nylons. Yeah, why would, nylons? Because they would give the little packages of that stuff to the soldiers in World War II, so that if they were in, you know, Italy or France or someplace, they could barter with the locals to get stuff. Oh. People couldn't get nylons uh, uh, during the war in Europe. They couldn't get chocolate. Nylons they are couldn't overrated. get cigarettes. So, uh, man, that's a lot of coffee information. It is, and I have more, but I won't bore you with it. You weren't boring me. That was very... Okay, I'll, I'll do it really quickly. Well, you might bore me if you keep going. <laughs> what do you got? So, Starbucks was named after what? The little... Starfish. No. Oh. Moby Dick. Moby Dick? Yep. Oh, the, the thing at the front of the boat of Moby Dick. Yep. That's what that girl's face is, right? No, it's um, the name of Moby Dick's uh, first mate was called Starbuck. Ahab's first mate? Yep. Starbucks. M- you know, Moby Dick was the fish. Yeah, 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 was, yeah. Was yeah, the yeah. Whale. But I meant Moby Dick, 
the story. Right. I did not know that. <laughs> Ahab's first mate was Starbuck. And the original stock exchange was also a coffee house in, in Wall Street. Did you know that? Did not know that. Well, a lot of modern culture revolves around coffee because people need to be awake. Mm-hmm. And uh, good coffee. It's also a great socializing tool. You know, if you're if you're doing the online dating thing, mm-hmm. much better to meet somebody for coffee. And you're sober. <laughs> right. Exactly. You're sober. It's daytime. And if it's a total washout, you drink your coffee in 10 minutes and you say, you know what? I got to go. go and rescue a cat out of a tree or something. Yeah. And drinking coffee can actually help you uh, save your liver from alcohol. Well, there you go. That should be interesting information to all of it our is. friends that listen to this It is. To drink show. coffee. I mean, you can drink alcohol, and then when you go on your next date the next day, drink a little bit of coffee. Well, but if you can't find a good cup of coffee, you're up shit creek. And there's two ways to get it. You either have to go to a restaurant and buy it and pay five or six bucks for a cup of coffee, which is ridiculous, or you make it at home. But if you're going to make it at home... I, you need a good method. And there's so many different ways of making coffee out there in the market. We thought it'd be interesting to find an expert who can tell us how to find the best coffee maker in America. So our first guest on the show today, her name is Julie Schweigert Collozo. Collazo. Collazo. She is a uh, American person married to a Cuban man. So it's like the opposite of us. <laughs> and uh, she has done quite a bit of research to find the method for brewing the perfect cup of coffee. So let's let's delve into her mind and uh, get our job on. Julie Collazo, welcome to A Fork on the Road. Hi, Julie. Hi. So uh, we saw a piece that you did for, is it Latin Magazine, Latina Kitchen Magazine? It's called The Latin Kitchen, and it's Latina Magazine's food and drinks website. Yeah, how could you get that wrong, Mark? Come on. It's Latina Magazine. It's a fantastic magazine. And you're a fan of Latinas. I'm a huge fan of them. Although I'm actually just a fan of one now. (laughs) But before, I was a huge fan of all of them. Uh, You did a great piece on finding the perfect coffee maker. So we wanted to talk to you, Julie, because obviously everyone that's into food and wine is pretty much into a good cup of coffee, either in the morning or after a meal. And... I tell you, when you travel, you have more bad coffee than good coffee. Have you found that? I have definitely found that. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that hotels, for the most part, don't want to invest in quality coffee makers. And actually, that was really the focus of this particular piece, was looking at what coffee maker can really produce the best cup of coffee for you at home. And the answer to that question was a little bit more complex than I expected, but it was a fun project to investigate. I bet it kept you up late (laughs) nights, unable to go to sleep and all jittery. You know, it didn't. Um, Coffee doesn't actually have that uh, wake up and keep me up impact, but we have a very small apartment in New York. (laughs) No, I'm a mom of two kids and one on the way, so that's why. That explains (laughs) <laughs> but my husband complained during the process that our 350-square-foot apartment was taken out by approximately 250 square feet worth of machine. Wow. So wow. that was the biggest challenge in this project. Wow. Well, I want to hear about your favorite machine and how and, and who was um, number two and number three and how you came to okay. love your number one machine. Sure. So um, first even of all, though I knew that... Yeah. We're, are we talking... We're talking American coffee. Are we talking espresso? Is there are there machines that do both? Because I, I know we are I, I talking like the machines espresso. that do both, and we're even talking French press machines. So we did French press, 
Um, we sampled some traditional drip machines, and we tested some espresso makers, and we um, tested some of the pod-based machines as well. So we had a pretty good spectrum of different types of machines. And when you could, did you use the same coffee in each machine, the same brand? Um, in the espresso machines, yes, and in the drip coffee machines, yes. Um, for the pods, each producer or maker of the machine has their own system, so we used right. whatever pods they sell for their machines. Okay, mm. all right. So the, let's start with the the most uh, irksome and troublesome and pain in the assome system, the French <laughs> press. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I I think it's a really great alternative for somebody, especially people who live in New York and don't have a lot of counter space. And one of the things that we found with some of the machines, especially the Keurig uh, K-Cup, for example, which was just a massive face hog. It was a huge counter hog, um, which for me was a big pet peeve because I just don't have a lot of space in my New York kitchen. Mm -hmm. So, um, And for such a big machine, it produced um, only one cup of coffee at a time. So that was the other thing is if you're – we learned that in testing the machines that if you're – looking for coffee, not just you want to make a great cup of coffee, but let's say you want to make more than one cup of coffee at a time. Um, there are different machines sort of for different purposes. So the French press, though, we tried the Permula French press, and it was a great one. Um, it's a nice, classy, classic press that has all chrome um, fixtures on the outside. The only thing I didn't like about that one was that it doesn't have measurements marked off on the side like some of its competitor brands but it's a pretty solid french press that works just fine if you're in the market for that type of and device. which one is this one uh the primula french press primula p-r-i-m-u-l-a and in general uh does it make a stronger cup of coffee than a drip uh machine or a weaker cup of coffee it makes um a coffee, I would say that it's it's neither stronger nor weaker. What it purports to do, and what I think it does really well, is that it's not an acidic coffee. So um, a lot of the, the problems with a drip machine is, are that if you're not getting enough heat or it's not distributed evenly, your coffee tends to come out really acidic or bitter, mm -hmm. and the French press um, helps avoid some of those problems. Okay. All right, so it's a nice, smooth, mellow cup of coffee. Now, um uh, you were just alluding to that machines kind of break down over time and maybe don't heat up. Uh, right. How do you know when it's time to replace your coffee maker? Well, one of the problems that we found with a couple of the um, the pod-based makers and the drip machines were that they have elements that are not very sturdy. So um, the Capresso, for example, was one of the espresso machines that we tried, and um, the Keurig K-Cup 75 maker um, both of those were the machines themselves were great. They produced a really nice, smooth cup of coffee, but um, some of their parts on the machines seemed really flimsy. And my concern was over the long haul, especially at a price point of 199. In the case of the um, Keurig, you know, have you made a big investment for a machine that won't hold up well over time? So yeah, and, and that's definitely something consumers should look for. And people are arguably their clumsiest in the morning when they're making their coffee. So you need something that can be bounced into and dropped and pushed around because, uh, at least myself, until I've had my delicious handmade Cuban espresso every That's morning, right. I'm a little clumsy. Right. Café Bustelo from Jabalana. Well, and I had not thought about those characteristics too much when we started testing, but it quickly became apparent 
one of my, my very favorite machine out of all of the ones that we tested was the Nespresso Virtua line, which is only available in North America. It's actually been made for the North American market um, because it produces a larger cup of coffee, a more closer to a venti size, for example. Um, and it's made by Nespresso. It's a beautiful machine. It's really sturdy. It's uh, fairly small compared to some of the other pod makers. And what I really liked about it was it was pretty much idiot-proof. <laughs> so you pulled it out of the box. It was ready to go. It wasn't hard to figure out. And I thought, oh, this is really great. I don't have to think in the morning before I've actually had my first cup of coffee. So And what machine is this? Plot. It's the Nespresso. This is the Nespresso virtual oh, line. Oh, yes. I love Nespresso. But I found out I that too. I like Nespresso better in Europe than I like it here. We went to uh, Prague. No, Amsterdam. And had the most incredible coffee, the Nespresso. When I get back here, I'm in love with it. I have to buy it. I purchase it. It just did not taste the same. But that's got to be a function I mean, of the pods, though, right? I mean, do you have to, if you buy a pod system, do you have to buy your pods from the, the, the people that make the coffee? Or can you make your own pods with your own coffee? Well, this is interesting. So while researching this piece, we had some people tell us that they do make their own pods. I'm sure the uh, manufacturers don't encourage that. One of the, the downfalls, I think, the only downfall of an espresso is the cost of the pods, which are pretty expensive. And so while the machine is extremely competitively priced up front, over time, your costs, I think, will mount up because the pods are pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have some people, yes, who hack pods and make their own pods. Yeah. And, and right now you can buy Keurig, it. You can buy a little plastic pod that you can refill and put it in the machine. Exactly. You can buy it online yeah. on the Internet. And couple bucks and some of the machines i think some of the keurig models have their own you can buy a brew basket that replaces the pods so that you can choose and grind mm. your own coffee i think that's great not only from a, a financial point of view but just from a eco waste perspective all these all the waste of the pod every day every single day you know for a couple that's 15 20 a week when you can just use the same thing over and over again right and also i think for taste one of the things that really frustrated me about the keurig for example was they had sent all these great samples for us to try, but none of them were really my type of coffee. And mm-hmm. so I found myself feeling kind of limited by the choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, to be able to control your own. And, and Nespresso, for example, I think uh, that Keurig does this as well, has a recycling program. But, I mean, who wants to keep dozens of pods yeah, no. or K-Cups in your kitchen until you're ready to take them back to the store to recycle them? Right. All right, so that's your favorite pod. What about your favorite non-pod non-French press coffee maker. So we also tried this new machine called iCoffee. I think the name is a bit odd because it seems to play off of Apple products, but it's actually made by Remington. Um, It was many years in the development and making, apparently, and it is a traditional drip machine in the sense that it produces a drip coffee, but its process uh, for doing so is somewhat uh, technically advanced so that they're trying to emulate the outcome of a coffee that's made in a French press, um, which means the non-acidic, non-bitter cup of coffee, mm-hmm. but um, with the sort of the technology of a drip machine. So it's a pretty good machine. It's at a decent price point. Um, aesthetically, I think it's a little bit lacking in, in terms of its design elements, but I think it's a nice choice for people who are not uh, into making espresso at home or are not interested in the pod machine. And that's the name of that one again is what? I coffee. And does it do espresso and drip coffee as well? No, it just does drip. Hmm. Okay. 
What was your favorite combo machine? Right now we have a uh, a Krups that oh, does yeah. drip coffee, so that when people Which come we over, never use. well, but when people come <laughs> yeah. over and you want to make a pot of coffee, it's. I don't remember the last time I made a pot of well, coffee. Well, baby, see, here's the problem: you're Cuban, so you're going to be making coffee the rest of our lives. <laughs> I'm I'm like fourth on the depth chart in our family. You, you got your father at the top. <laughs> You're next. I don't know if I've ever tasted your mother's coffee, but it's probably going to be better than what I make. So you're stuck. So I'm okay. Well, I'm going to drink small cups of coffee. My mother-in-law serves me, but she's Cuban, and she serves me like a symbol of coffee. And I always say, this is it. I need about 10 of these. I know, but they so, mix them. Oh, they're so oh, delicious so with good. the sugar and the... <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, so for the espresso, I actually, um, I tried the Caprazzo and the one, the newer crops. Um, I like the crops better. Um, it's more expensive, but what I really like about it, because it was replacing um, a crops that I actually had at home before, I like that this one tamps the coffee itself. So you just fill the espresso brew basket with your espresso, and then you just stick the tamper in the machine, and it tamps itself. And then also when you are done... It has a release button so that the grounds just go straight into your trash can. And I cannot tell you what a dramatic improvement this is because I've lost many a brew basket in the garbage in the morning. <laughs> so these are two features that I think are great. It also has a cup warmer built into it so you can put your cups on top while you're brewing the espresso and it warms your cups up, which is a kind of nifty feature. That's cool. So you've tested the French roast, the dual, the espresso, and the drip of all the machines that you tested. How many did you test all together? Um, we tested, I believe it was eight all together. And what was your favorite? What one would you buy? The Nespresso, yeah, the Nespresso virtual line. <laughs> um, I think it produced the best cup of coffee. Like I said before, the machine is really compact and it's sleek and it's, it's a nice design. Um, it's pretty much, you can take it out of the box and set it up and it doesn't require reading the instructions. I know manufacturers would like for you to read their instructions, but let's face it, how many of us really do that when we pull our coffee maker out of the box? You know what? If you need instructions on how to, you know, uh, operate an electrical machine or work your seatbelt on an airplane, I'm not so sure that we should be aiding and abetting you. You know, those are the those are the folks that should just kind of, you know. Well, sometimes coffee machines have different buttons that you've never tried before like my crops has one button that's the only button i need. need to touch well that's good design. and i like making my coffee i know how much to pack it i know how much water i'm going to put in there i like that it comes out exactly the same every time it's reliable it's delicious i'm good with that the all the other stuff i don't need all the you know special effects that the machine comes with i'm good with a regular coffee maker as long as it makes really strong cuban coffee yeah, yeah. i'm good I married my coffee maker, so this is, discussion is really of no interest to me whatsoever. <laughs> I just, I just married one. So I'm I don't the coffee maker. It. It's called Ayeni. <laughs> the Ayeni. So, where can people uh, read the article again, Julie, so they can get all the they insights can read that you have? It on thelatinkitchen.com, and if they're interested, we also this was another article that I sacrificed personally many hours researching um, how to order coffee in Latin America. So a guide to all the different uh, cortados and corticos and what the differences of all of those are. And then we're actually working on one right now about um, which coffee beans should you buy from Latin America, uh, craft roasted beans that are sourced from Latin America, but um, 
roasted and ground here in the U.S. Well, Julie, thank you so much for joining us uh, on A Fork on the Road, and thank you for sharing your caffeinated expertise with us. Um, people can read the article again on... TheLatinKitchen.com. Correct. By Latina Magazine. Yes. So thanks for joining us, and you know what? I think I'm going to go have a cup of coffee right now. A lot of good information. Yes, and you don't have to go to Greenland to find it. No. So, uh... What does Greenland have to do with it? You don't know, Mr. No, Trivia Man? I don't. Well, the northernmost landmass on Earth is called Coffee Club Island. Did you know that? No. It's a small island located um, right above Greenland, and this explorer was the, was the first to discover it in the 1900s and named it that because he used to get together with his um, other explorer friends, and um, they had an informal coffee club. So well, yeah, if it. you're if you're in the Arctic Circle, I would imagine it's sort of informal. Someone, please, just give me something no, warm no, to no, drink. But, you know, it could have been hot chocolate, but no, it's coffee. So they named it Coffee Club. Did not know that. So much quality coffee information on the show. It's unbelievable. We should be sponsored well, by I the love coffee. state of Columbia. <laughs> I love The coffee. nation state of the, Columbia. Yeah. Mm. All right, well, thank you, Julie, for coming on the show. We will check back with her once she figures out uh, if she gets her chai on. Then hopefully she can I check know. back in with us. Uh, our next guest if is... If she doesn't, I will. If our, she doesn't do it, I'll go look for the fair best enough. chai. Our next guest is a very interesting character. Uh, he's a comedian and a television producer and a writer. He was born in Minnesota and looks the part. Looks like someone you'd see on the Fargo TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the writers and producers on Mystery Science 3000. And about four or five years ago, he got sick and tired of living in Los Angeles and living in the rat race and... Moved to Asia. He lived in Jakarta for three years. He's been in Cambodia, I think, two years now. And it's a completely different way of life. And uh, we had um, the radical... He's been there for longer because he said he was away for six years now? From 2008, I think, yeah. So, you know, we had the uh, radical sabbatical person on uh, about a month ago. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about how every seven years she just punches out of her job and just goes and lives a different life. And this is what Tim has done for the past six years. Totally changed his life. Got a divorce. Left America. And uh, really has cobbled together a completely different life. And uh, we're going to find out about it. What it's like being an American expat living abroad in Asia. So please welcome to the show the very funny Tim Scott. Hello. Hi, Tim. Where Hi, are we, nice to be here. Where are we reaching you right now? Where are you? I'm in Phnom Penh, Cambodia right now. And what do you do there? I'm a um, consulting executive producer, producing television shows like MasterChef and Dancing with the Stars. Um, uh, Idol and these types of shows for a company called CBS, oh. the Cambodia, Cambodia Broadcasting Service. Oh it's, oh, it's different over here. Yeah, very much different. <laughs> uh, now, t- Tim was a um, uh, a writer and a comedian here in Los Angeles. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. You worked on Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And, yeah, it was really fun. And he's a he's a big fan of bowling, and he's a big Minnesotan. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would think just looking at you and talking to you, Tim, you'll be the last guy in the world to end up in Cambodia. And you're living there now, right? Yeah, I've been overseas now for about five years. And I, I lived in Jakarta, Indonesia for three years. And then I went down to Bali and I lived down there for a year. And now I'm up in Cambodia. And um, yeah, I, I never dreamed I'd be in Asia. But I, uh, you know, I, I liter- literally after I was divorced, I, I 
thought I need to take some time off. <laughs> and I, I did, I literally did a Google search, you know, the cheapest countries to do like long-term travel in. And every country that came up was Asia. And uh, I had just been to the Philippines for my friend's wedding. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. So I thought, well, I guess I'm just going to go hopping around Asia. And so I took a year off and just rented, you know, condos and apartments for two months in Bangkok and three months in Manila and two months in Indonesia and, you know, just kind of bopped around and I, I really enjoyed it. And then I stumbled on a job. And so then I got hired and boom, I'm in the middle of Jakarta. So we, we, we had someone on the show about a month ago who was doing um, radical sabbaticals and she every seven years she pulls out all the plugs and just goes away for like a year. Yeah. So that's kind of what you did, right? That uh, people, yeah. people are interested in doing that. To me, it sounds very daunting and, um, you know, that fear of the unknown. Yeah. Was it the divorce that made you go, screw it, I'm leaving? Or was it a combination of other things? It was a, com a combination. I mean, you know, it took me a while after the divorce. Suddenly, I, you know, I just like the light bulb came on and I thought, wait a minute, I can do anything I want. I don't have to <laughs> prove it with anyone. And so that's when I just started making plans. And, you know, I, I heard it all before I left because I was, you know, basically a freelancer in L.A. And, and uh, they're like, how long you can be gone for? And I go, a year. And they're like, a year? Aren't you worried that, you know, you're not going to get hired when you Yeah, that's back? an eternity in show business here in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. And... And I just went, well, I mean, uh, I can't really worry about it because the alternative is that I just, I'm here doing the same old, same old, and I, I need a break, I need a change. And and my brother, who was at the time like 54, kept telling me stories about all these dudes at his job having strokes, you know, when they're like 48. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I got to start really You got to live living. your life. I want to yeah. have my stroke in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> when did this happen? When did you uh, make the change? Uh, 2008. 2008. Wow, yeah. so six years ago. Wow. So you're this big, blonde, Nordic dude from Minnesota, um, and you just land in Asia. You were in Jakarta for three years, you said. Yeah, yeah. Why did you stop in Jakarta? Is there a big American expat community over there in Asia, or are you completely and utterly alone? Um, there's a sizable one, but, you know, it's mostly Aussies and Brits. So we're the minority, but you know, there's quite a few and in, in in Jakarta I was working for Fremantle Media producing Idol and shows like that. There's a Jakarta so, Idol? Yeah, uh, Indonesian Idol. Oh. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. fun. And uh, Indonesia's got talent and uh, <laughs> oh. MasterChef Indonesia. I mean, they we got, you know, they got them all. So um it was a pretty it was a pretty easy transition, you know, you're busy and and uh, you just kind of roll with stuff. You know, everything's completely different. And, and the problem-solving skills are absolutely different. Really? <laughs> really? So yeah. your, your experience as a big-time Hollywood producer, they didn't look at you like uh, Jesus incarnate? Or... No, they just look at you like the they're, – they're very scared of you, actually. <laughs> they're, you know, you're the big white guy who's coming in, who's all gregarious and full of life. And, and you, I mean, a little backstory here, Tim. You are. You're not a skinny, milk toasty guy. You you got to be over six feet tall, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you're big, burly guy, gregarious. You're a hugger. You're. <laughs> you're a hugger. You're a, you're, just, you're just a big, fun, loud Midwestern guy. You know, yeah. uh, like me. If you're in a room, people know that you're there. And yeah. I would imagine that was maybe like a clash with the kind of quiet, respectful cultures in the East. 
Yeah, very much so because, you know, um, they have a, a structure of like, you know, if you're senior, then you, you know, you're, you get a ton of respect if you're older and if you have more experience on the job. And it's kind of a shy, humble society. And, you know, like guys like you and myself, like we have this real a, a big love for our industry, right? And mm-hmm. like it's fun, you know, it's fun <laughs> to go to work and like, you know, Half the fun is like laughing in the room with everybody coming up with ideas. And that just doesn't quite exist in their culture, you know. And then you factor in, you know, the lost in translation factor where half the staff is only getting about 30% of what you're saying. And so, like, you know, I just, you know, I had to just downshift in every regard. You might even notice now I'm so used to speaking slowly. (laughs) <laughs> and articulately and you get really used to saying things three different ways you know we need we need to run to the store i mean you know we need to hurry we need to go quickly you know you just because you know you can see it in their eyes they're not getting it and like, well, <laughs> get quickly maybe they'll get hurry maybe they run to maybe like you know move move fast you know and uh, so I had to downshift in every regard business-wise and socially and and but you know you 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 learn to do it and it's 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 fun. The good thing is about about most Asian people. Is, so you know because Wait, you know you, the, it broke yeah, up there. What you said the good thing about most Asian people, it, they're an easy laugh. Oh. Uh, you know, like like is it like the laughs on YouTube? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, yes, they are. really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you it, speak it, their it, language, or do you, you? They have to learn English. How does that work? Well, in, in Indonesia, the company was a Western company, and so everybody spoke English, which was, you know, actually bad for, for me because it didn't force me to speak more. The, their their language is Bahasa, and I so I didn't. So I by the time I left Indonesia, I was probably at like twenty eight percent, you know, and I I could maneuver very comfortably, and I could understand what people were saying. Um, and now that I'm in Cambodia, it's it's slowly coming in you know actually bahasa indonesia was my first language and so uh, you know my first second language and so now it's i find it actually easier learning the words here in cambodia but you know their humor is all silly which is right down right in my wheelhouse you know so all you had to do is just be big and silly and they just the hands are the hands are coming up over the mouth and they're (laughs) (laughs) and most of the television there is it western comedy that they just dub or do they have their own original comedy shows? They have a lot of their own original comedy shows and it's really Laurel and Hardy. It's really over the top physical comedy and someone gets hit on the head with a big hammer and there's the ball. Really? Um, oh, so it's like Telemundo a little bit here. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. They love it. So you, Wait, wait, wait. It, Telemundo? Oh, baby. I was watching. We were in Miami <laughs> last weekend and I was watching Spanish language TV and, and it's it's like bad sketches from the 50s. Well, that's because you were watching Sábado Gigante. Well, whatever. It's uh, That show hasn't been as good since Ruben Rabasa left it. Um, that's true. It, it's 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 Laurel and Hardy. There's a, not a lot of sophistication to the humor, which probably is because of the language, right? Everyone can, if someone gets kicked in the balls, everybody can laugh. Yes, and also, you know, like we used to say when we were coming up with our concepts for our shows, you know, the average viewer, like in Indonesia, is you know sitting in a warong, which is like a, a restaurant that's built on the front of someone's house, and usually the mother is the main cook. And there's like a 14-inch black and white TV up in the corner, you know, mounted. And Good there's, point. you know, like 25 people in there. 
sitting, you know, eating their food extremely slowly for three hours, you know, and just mesmerized by what's on the TV. And we so Frazier's not going to play. Wordplay, very quick repartee no, doesn't work. It's no, got to be well, physical. That's interesting. It's, it's got to play in the village. Yeah, you can't be too smart or too ironic. Are there comedy clubs in Cambodia? No, and that was really hard when I first got there because um, in Indonesia and in, and in Cambodia is because, you know, that's like a resource for a TV producer. You know, it's like, well, let's go to the comedy club. Who do we got? Who, you know, who, who's got a little something extra in the tank, you know, right. to be a host? And uh, no, it just didn't exist. And now, actually, right when I left uh, Jakarta, like two comedy clubs were up and running and in, 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 in surviving. And um, in... Uh, Phnom Penh here there's just a, a disco that has like a comedy night uh, but they're all westerns and and uh, western people expats so it's you know, comedy it's comedy in English yes oh, oh. yeah the, but uh but the how about this of... Cambodian food folks this is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh I want to talk about the food sure how did you get accustomed to eating a completely different diet i mean what what do you eat well you know for me it was easy because i am a garbage pail eater i just you know <laughs> i'll just yeah i just put it in you know i just look i see it as nutrients it's like it's in me now <laughs> <You feel better. laughs> but um indonesia is you know it's like eighteen thousand islands and every island has its own you know, dialect and its own food. So it was uh, really lovely to discover all the different foods from Java, from Sumatra, from Bali. That sounds um, like coffees. And, you know, I'm a big Mexican f spicy food eater. And so Indonesian food, it can be incredibly spicy. So I was in, in heaven, you know, and you just, so I, I didn't have a problem. And then, you know, Jakarta is big enough that if you want Western food, you can get it. And, uh, but what, what but, about yeah. Cambodia where you're living oh. now? Cambodia is a different story. <laughs> you know, Cambodia, like Indonesia is 240 million people. Cambodia is, I think, 12. Oof. And, you know, it's just kind of one country with one geographic. There isn't like, I mean, there's different regions, right? But it's not really that diverse. So the food is kind of what it is, and you know. If we landed at the if we landed at the Cambodia airport and just walked up to a stranger and said, "Hey, we're looking for Tim, the big white guy from America," would they know who we're talking about? Um, no, I actually no. I would like to say yes, but no, they wouldn't. <laughs> There's a bunch of you know, Cambodia is the darling of the uh, NGO circuit and and charitable giving. You know, it's the, it's basically the darling of the world when it comes to that, and so there's. A lot of NGOs and a lot of white people here, and um, you know, there's a lot. I, I see me every so often on the street. You know, he's usually an Aussie, but mm -hmm. I see other chubby white guys walking around, and <laughs> you know, and it's got a, such a big tourist flow. Everybody comes through here and then goes to Angkor Wat, and then from Angkor Wat they go down to uh, Sihanoukville, and from Sihanoukville they go to Vietnam. It's like the Lonely Planet. You know, whatever's in the Lonely Planet, that's what the backpackers do exactly we just saw a piece on Angkor Wat and it looks fantastic have you been there I, oh, I'm ashamed to say I haven't been <gasps> there because oh. I ugly have a, American you have, have to go 
I have a phobia about tourists and I like I'm really choosy about when I travel mm. and who I travel with. Go like, in the low season. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like during the heavy rainy season, that's when I'm going to go and I'm going to go with my my girlfriend, you know, but like if to go there now, it's like crazy hot and the bus loads and bus loads of foreigners come in and yeah, it's that's just not fun. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's the type of thing like, oh, I'd like to take a picture of that. And then someone like puts their camera up in front of your camera and it, it, it like. And then you got to fight them. Oh, yeah. We lost you. <laughs> um, we, were, we were talking about food, but you brought up your girlfriend. I know a bunch of guys out here in America who say that they go to that the most beautiful women in the world are in Southeast Asia. And a lot of them go there specifically to meet women do you see yeah. a lot of that yeah um i mean you know it's kind of like any any other thing you know the, the, the thing about asian women is uh, especially cambodia is that you know it's 1967 here oh you know the khmer rouge were trying to reset the culture back to zero and they they accomplished it they killed anybody who was smart or an artist and you know so this so everything a lot a lot of things here have frozen you know, in 1967. And part of that is, you know, the style of the women uh, in in fashion. And, you know, it's a Buddhist con country, so the beliefs are very traditional. So it, it's really traditional. And what that equates to on the street is that everybody smiles at you. Everybody. When My friend James, when he first got here, he said, I couldn't figure out why my face hurt the first two days. And then I realized it's because I'm smiling You're at smiling everyone. so much. Really? Yeah. Yeah, there's a really like Asia has a like the on the street vibe is really friendly and really human. And so like when guys come over there, you know, you, you got to kind of talk them off the ledge because they go crazy. You know, <laughs> what do you mean? You know, well, they just like they'll meet a gal and she'll just be nice. And like, you know, like he'll have all that, you know, now, I'm, of course, I'm speaking of L.A. based experiences but you know he'll have that like resistance in his mind about like actually speaking to her because uh -huh. you know he doesn't want to seem like he's hitting on her you know <laughs> because you know apparently in a lot of in la if you just speak to a woman you know you're hitting on her yeah and so when 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 it just comes so natural conversation comes so natural and everybody's so nice then the guys they just go wow this is really nice and then you know, and then when that escalates to walking around and holding hands, what? Their mind is blown. <laughs> and so, so, so what? What? What can happen is that can get it can ramp up really quickly, and then these guys they just go all in. They're like, "She's the sweetest gal I've ever met in my life," you know, and I'm gonna marry her. And it's like, "Whoa, brother, hang on, slow down." It's Take been these. two days. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I had a friend who came over to visit for 11 days and he ran the full gamut of a relationship in 11 days. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. I've never done that. <laughs> it was, it was, I kept giving him advice and he kept kind of nodding and shaking his head and, go, and he was like, yeah, I'll consider that. And then he just ignored all my advice. And then, and then he, um, then he, uh, uh, he just crashed and burned really hard. <laughs> It's interesting. You said that everyone was so nice and human and open. My experience of Asian people, and of course, these are all big generalizations here in America, is that it's the opposite. They're, they're not the most gregarious, 
uh, open, happy, smiley people that I run yeah. into. You know, to me, those people are the Western Europeans, the Spanish and the Italians and the, the mm. Cubans. Those are the gregarious, outgoing, huggy kind of people. And to me, it, maybe it's the Asian people that come here. They seem very reserved and closed off. Did you notice a difference between them here and there? Oh, absolutely. But I think, you know, what you're seeing is you're seeing expats. You're seeing Asian expats. Yeah. I'm seeing the Tims and, of yeah. Yeah. Cambodia in L.A. Or the tourists with the cameras, that they only have a certain amount of time to get things done. Mm. Yes. And, they're, and, you know, they're probably saying the same thing about me because, you know, a lot of times, like, I'm just... You know, because I don't speak the language and, you know, I smile and I'd be, I'd be nice and everything. But sometimes I'm not so engaging because I'm just like beelining to the expat bar to have a plate of food and a couple beers, you know. And and then, you know, we stay in our little expat pack community. So I think, you know, I, I really understand the Asians, you know, in, in America now because especially like in Minnesota where I was from, that we had, the Lutheran Church brought all over the, uh, the Vietnamese and the, um, the Hmong mm -hmm. from Laos. And, uh, you know, they got criticized heavily because they were so... Uh, insular and they just they you know they just you know live 12 to a house and they kind of stayed amongst themselves and uh, you know i think it's just because they're expats and like you know english is a really difficult language to learn and you know they're trying to get trying to get their footings and trying to you know and you just kind of stick with your own so. and sometimes you also like familiarity i mean I, yeah you know yenny, yenny was born in cuba and her family escaped to america when she was 10 years old, so I would imagine, did you... And, and, and you know Miami what? is filled with Cubans. But and it's then... a very insulated society in Miami. The Cubans, beautiful people, but they stick together. I mean, you go out yeah. into well, a store we, in we... Miami, if you don't speak Spanish, you're at a loss. They don't even offer English. It's a mm. Spanish city. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, a lot well. of them do offer English, and you should talk to the younger ones. The older ones I try, and every time I talk to one, choice. you get mad at me. The older ones, the older ones don't have a choice. Stop it. And you look for familiarity. I'm just you, doing you know, cultural outreach, baby. If you're a Cuban yeah. and you end up in the middle of, you know, middle America and you get lynched by people that don't like Hispanics, uh -huh. you know, that's kind of, that's that's very scary. Yeah, I get it. And then, you know, it, it also happens when it, you can be Latino, but for example, Cubans and Mexicans are very different. So when I moved to L.A., it was a big culture shock. So I started looking for all my Cuban friends and, and Cuban yeah. restaurants and things that were familiar to me, my accent. Every time I hear somebody with a Cuban accent, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, it's a Cuban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The food is different, mm -hmm. you know, and, and even though it's a Latino culture as well, it's very, very different. So you look for what you know. It's like a little taste of home sometimes that you need. Although I, I, I would just, from what you're saying, Tim, it seems to me like the transition you made from L.A. to Asia and Cambodia, it, it's... It, it can't be more different and stark. It must have just been like starting a, like literally a new life, right? Yeah, very much so. And Do you, you know, miss you, America? There's a lot I miss in America, but, you know, the things that I, I miss in America are kind of the things that you can't see. You know, like, I mean, you can in, in many ways, I guess, but, like, what I'm saying is, like, I miss... French fries. You can no, see French fries. I, I, miss, I miss work <laughs> ethic. I miss I miss the the staunch um, decency of being clean. Ooh, people you are know? not clean there. Yeah, it's just like you know when you're when the when you're trying to when your biggest worry is putting food on the table, like being clean kind of drops down the ladder quite a ways, you know. Mm. And there's an acceptance like. 
people, what people will accept here in their lives and be happy, we would never accept. You know? For instance? Uh, well, just like, a, like the Indonesians, like a dirty environment. Like, you know, I can't be, I mean, in a crazy, dirty environment, like, you know, too long. Like every so, you know, there's the Saturday where I go, okay, get me the bottle of 409 and here we go. Let's clean these walls or something, you know. But the Indonesians are so laid back. They just like, they, everybody smokes. And, you know, if they're not working, then they're eating and smoking and singing songs. You know, that's a big generalization. But that's really kind of the tone of the culture. Um, I took one of my Indonesian friends to X Factor in London, one of my staff. And he, it was the winter. And on the way home on the plane, he goes, I totally understand why Americans and Western people are so successful and so good at their jobs. Because you have to be. Because it's really cold. Like, you have to run to catch the bus. If you don't, you'll be in the cold for, for like an hour. He goes, in Indonesia, it's, life is so easy. If we miss the bus, oh, well, you know, it's nice out. I'll wait, you know. My, the best example of the, the mindsets of Asia versus America is my first Filipino girlfriend, Gigi. She worked as a chef at a restaurant, and they worked on three-month contracts which is insane to me, but, you know, she came back to the condo and she's like, Tim, they didn't renew my contract. And she had been there for like three years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, Gigi, you lost your job. What are you going to do? And she says, oh, Tim, I will go back to the village and I will eat mango. And when it rains out, I will take shower in the rain. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't worried about having a job at all. Because she knew she could exist on almost nothing, you know, and like. So it's still uh, like living in the jungle to a certain extent, huh? Well, yeah, like when you're in the. Do you live in a hut? (laughs) No, you know, God bless the French. They did a good job with Phnom Penh, (laughs) and I live in a in a nice neighborhood with French architecture, and um, except for they're doing a lot of construction around me. I don't know if you can hear the tile saw. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but um. But, you know, like everybody who's in the city is, you know, you could probably say at least, you know, half or a third are, you know, they come in from the village to work. And so in Cambodia, especially because they killed all the smart people, like, you know, these are uneducated people. And so, like, they kind of keep life pretty simple. I mean, it's like some sometimes their life is like permanent camping, you know, the way they cook their food on charcoal in these bowls, you know, it's like they're always camping, you know, wow. even when they, even when they have like, when, even when they rent a room, you know, that has one room in a, in a, a toilet, then like sometimes they have these clay pots outside their front door and they're squatted down and they're like making chicken satay, you know, it's like their version of grilling, you know, and it's, it sounds very like, unclean. Did you, did it take your stomach a while to get used to the food and did you have any food poisoning or any kind of unpleasant well, it probably After doesn't have like eating. the hormones that the food has here or the True. preservatives but that it, we eat here. But it also has probably got a shit ton of bacteria. Well, uh, I've been lucky. Again, I'm kind of bulletproof, but uh, I, I can say this. The times I've gotten food poisoning, which isn't too many, maybe I maybe twice a year. Um, and, you know, <laughs> like maybe a solstice. One, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's a cleanse. I consider it a cleanse. <laughs> cleanse. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, uh, I, it's, it's equal whether I got it from a Western bar, you know, or a street food. 
you know, like mm. it's not like, you know, oh, you know, five times out of 10, you're going to get food poisoning from the street food. The street food here is actually really clean. And as you probably know, it's like, it's usually not the food, it's the water yeah. that they, you know, that, that they clean their dishes or, you know, like, like don't ever have a salad on the street because you're going to get food poisoning from the water mostly. Right. But I've been real fortunate. I haven't gotten too sick uh, ever, you know, just the normal, like maybe down for half a day. Yeah. So what and, would and, you tell people who, I mean, you, you I, I could not think of a more American Midwestern guy than Tim Scott. <laughs> living in Minnesota, you were out here in L.A., and it sounds like the life you're living now is just completely foreign. Do you, do you embrace it? Do you regret going over there? Do you, would you recommend it to other people? Is this a temporary thing? Is this... Uh, you're going to stay there the rest of your life. I mean, you've been you've been out six years now. What are some of your perspectives on it? Uh, at this point, like I can't really see ever coming back to the states. You know, really? Um, yeah, it's like you know, life is really slower here. And you know, like to give you an example, like it's not all finances, it's cult mostly cultural, but like I rent my two bedroom, two bath and I, I pay $500, wow. you know, and you're right my, in the city, huh? Yeah. And my, my electricity is like $40 a month. My water bill is $5 a month. And, and you know, there's a ton of street food and there's a ton of restaurants in Phnom Penh. It's only getting better. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, the street level energy is just so nice and it's really relaxing it's you know there's moments here where you'll see something like whether you're in a tuk-tuk i'll see something or i'll What's be a at tuk -tuk? it uh, those little like carts. those little bicycle like, carts no uh, like a, a 125 cc honda motorbike that's got uh, a trailer on it where you can sit four people oh wow yeah in uh, indonesia they had these other like the indian style ones bajais and uh, so you, that's what you use for your transportation most. But there'll be moments where I'll just see something and I'll just, I'll just really just think, like, I'm, I'm so glad I'm here. You know, I would never see that in America, whether it's an act of kindness or just simple. They do things as Oops, families. You, you, and, you dropped out again. You said uh, a simple act of kindness. You could just repeat whatever you just said. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a simple act of kindness or... Uh, a family, you know, out having the, their meal in front of the royal palace here in Phnom Penh. You know, there's moments that I just go, wow. You know, there's this a royal never... palace. Yeah, the, 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 actually, the king just passed away last year, and you know, there's like a massive, you know, like eight month funeral, and they built a whole structure for the for the cremation of the king, and he was the king for. I think like 44 years and wow. yeah, there's a Royal palace and there's, you know, there's a lot of Watts and temples and, um, it's a very Buddhist country, but mm. yeah, I, I just can't imagine going back to the States really, unless it's like for some great, big, fantastic, funny comedy job, then yeah, I'm back in a second, but I'm probably not going to stay just because I just can't swing with it anymore. It's a little bit too, uptight well life outside of the u.s um 
there's a lot of similarities between where you're living and places that we visited as well. Simple yeah. things just have a completely different meaning. The, the, the nice, beautiful moments last longer and they don't have like a, you know, backhanded compliments or uh, they don't have a ulterior motive behind it's not it. It's cutthroat. It's not. But I, I, would, I, would, I experienced that in, in Mexico when they had, um, there's people that converted trailers into these beautiful homes and their dining room, all the neighbors from the, the place, they come out to one of the neighbor's houses, set up a table outside, overlooking the water, the ocean, and they just, you know, light up candles and the most delicious food and everybody just yeah. comes on by and sits down and eats and... You know, things like that that you don't get here because, I mean, how many people actually even know their well, neighbors? We have, we have barbecues here. We know our it's, neighbors. It's not the same thing. Well, true. What, what, what is interesting to me, though, as a comedian, so much of your work product, so much of what you do is culturally dependent, you know? You, mm. you, the punchlines and the things that you talk about, It's it, you're, you're taking the common threads of the culture that the audience shares and you're looking at them in a different way and making jokes about it. How do you, uh, in the executive television job you have, h- how do you apply your comedy to the material that you're making and make it funny in Cambodia? Well, you know, in, in Indonesia, I like kind of went through a crisis where I got there and after watching their comedy, I thought, oh, I don't know anything about doing comedy here. And then I was working with a couple of producers who who sometimes when 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 the when your staff speaks good english sometimes you can mistake that for being really smart or you know switched on or put together and it's just you know i had to learn it's not true <laughs> and, so it's and, the same as in la yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so i I I went back and forth in my mind and in my heart on comedy. Like I went from like I don't know anything here to like wait a minute I know a lot and comedy's universal and you know there's the things that and then I'd go back to oh I don't know anything you know and it was because of this producer was giving me wrong advice and so finally I just had to like break into you know executive Hollywood executive producer mode and just be the arrogant guy that goes now I know I'm the expert here you know and this say, is no, funny. Yeah, I'm saying no to you, and I'm saying no to you, no to you, and this is funny. Make it happen. I don't want to hear anything more of it, <laughs> you know. And you know that was right. It it's just because you know if here if you just follow the basics of like Laurel and Hardy, you know, if you just make it big and silly, and you don't get too serious, you know, you can't do like you can't do political stuff because that could get you killed. Oh. And, <laughs> and you, and uh, you don't do too smart stuff. You just do like you know what you do. You do a mixture of All in the Family, um, and Laurel and Hardy, right? Not All in the Family on the Vietnam War political sense, but on the family, the family. You know, Dad. You know, you don't you don't listen to us type stuff. You know, all those family things that are universal mm-hmm. you know, throughout the world. Then you know that stuff really works well here. Can you send us you- a clip of what? Um- Cambodian television looks like so that we can put it on the website. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, do they some, have some comedy that you've worked on that we can link to? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And do they have commercials? Uh, they do, but it's insane. You know, the commercial <laughs> breaks are like seven, eight, nine minutes, ten minutes long. You're kidding. And, you know, my first day on uh, on Indonesian Idol, I came to the company mid-season and, and there was like eight contestants or seven contestants left and the show was 
airing live. And when we were driving to the studio, I said, what time does the show start tonight? And they said, 7 o'clock. I go, what time will it be done? And I thought they'd say 8, 8.30. And they go, oh, it'll be done around like 10, 10, 20. <laughs> and I'm like, three hours? Three hours and 20 minutes? Is, it's, that's how long your show is? Oh, yeah. I'm like, and in my mind, I'm thinking, what do you do for three hours and 20 minutes that Sabado makes good gigante. tea? Oh, and it, you know what? Chit-chat. They love the chit-chat. All you know, and so... That's weird. When I was doing studs, I went over to Madrid, Spain, and did a Spanish-English version of it in a big uh, television spectacular. And they, it was supposed to start at 8. We didn't start taping until like 11 o'clock at night. It went till 2 in the morning. They could not care. There was no schedule at all. I, literally, yeah. I was sitting in the basement for six hours waiting for them to do whatever they're going to do, and they were just kind of like, you know, we'll get around to it when we get around to it. Yeah, yeah. It it drove me crazy when I first got here because, you know, it's just so not um, not efficient. And, you know, you're, you're efficient in L.A. because of cost and overtime. And, you know, in Indonesia, there's really no labor laws, and the, the station owners are kind of just evil overlords that just stick it to their employees. You know, like, oh, you work till four in the morning, cameraman? Okay, well, remember, at seven o'clock, we need you back in the studio to work another full day running camera on a different show. You know, it was quite quite hard to get used to. And, wow. and actually, when we were doing MasterChef, they wouldn't get anything shot before noon. And I kept telling everybody, you know, first of all, I made, every, made them do a proper call sheet and schedule. And I told them, What's going to happen? Interviews and it's going to be three in the morning, and then the, the, Wait, the it cut out again. Say, uh, what's going to happen is what's going to happen is the we're going to it's going to be three in the morning when we're doing interviews, and then we're going to have to push the call time, and slowly our schedule is going to start working its way around the clock. I said we have to be on time because what's going to happen is, is in two weeks everybody will have been working such weird hours. Everybody's going to get sick, and then we have a real problem. And uh, in Asia. They we call it yeah yeah where where you just say yes to someone to get to get them off your back mm -hmm. or because or because you're too scared to say I don't have my work done, and so they you know they yeah yeah me yeah yeah Tim yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> and then you know you know sure enough I'm uh, watching them produce the show and you know I, you know they're they're finishing at three then they're finishing at four then they're finishing at five in the morning and then after ten days, like. We're down for three days. I'm like, why are we down for three days? You know, I'm talking to the Indonesian ex executive producers, and they're they're like, well, everybody's sick. Hello. <laughs> and then guess what? Then people started coming in at eight, and we had at least one segment shot before lunch, and then you know, and then the machine got going. But you know, they're just not used to that because you know the it's it's hot. <laughs> you know, everybody's lazy. You know, it's like who wants to work? It's so hot. So, are you, you bringing? Know? Are you instilling American values as far as work and scheduling on them, or are you slowly accepting the way they do it? Well, in Cambodia, here is in Indonesia. I had to kind of do a mix, and I was a little bit at a disadvantage in Indonesia because I was working for Fremantle, and we did co-productions with the TV station. So I didn't have any authority over like the the directors or the crew. They would just look at me like I'm crazy, and so I had to work everything through the Indonesian executive producers. So I was, you know, a bit neutered, and that was, you know, really hard to take because I'm so used to being effective and you know making decisions and moving things along. Mm -hmm. But in Cambodia. You know, after the Khmer Rouge killed everybody, you know, they, 
you know, nobody here has been mentored. Like people get shown how to do things, but they're not taught why. And so probably half my job here during meetings, I have to stop and go up to the dry erase board and actually like draw things out and explain why, you know? So, uh, it's actually, I really enjoy it here. Um, because I am the big boss and I can say do this now. And if they don't do it now, then, you know, there's a problem. But, um, but I like it mostly because <clears throat> I get to teach a little, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's crazy because they're so timid and so scared and like, you know, they don't want to open up and it takes them a while to get used to you. Um, but I want to see them have the fun that we have in our industry, you know, and they can. And like just recently, like they've really kind of opened up. They, <clears throat> they've understood that like I'm not asking questions because I'm trying to put blame on you or, or point a finger or get you into trouble. I'm just problem solving. You know, if, if you don't have your report done, all right, you know, this is Asia. I understand. But let's just figure out a way we can get it done. Maybe you need help and you're too scared to ask me for help. Wow. So what a, it just sounds like an incredible adventure, Tim. And, and yeah. it's, you, you sound really happy and you sound like you're having fun. Enthused. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of fun, you got a girlfriend over there. Yeah. What's her name? Her name's Ba. Uh, you would pronounce it phonetically B A W, but it's spelled P O R. <laughs> yeah, so that throws you for a little bit of a loop at first. Yeah, she's lovely. She's great. She's um, um, she's a Chinese Indo, and she her family runs orphanages. Nice. Um, so it's vastly interesting hearing about that. I've been to many orphanages here and, and hearing about her upbringing and, you know, being part of this big association that takes care of so many kids. And a lot of those kids have HIV. And, um, yeah, so that's been, she's been a real blessing because, you know, like we're all, as a Western guys, we're always kind of like at this radar about like, you know, is everything okay? And you're kind of, you're kind of set to like, what would be okay with a Western woman? Right. You know, like, Always worried like, about problem solving. And when she says, I want to talk, you know, oh, no, this is bad. Yeah. And like, am I being cool enough or am I, you know, am I being fun enough or am I just being a fat load and she's going to get bored of me and toss my ass out, <laughs> you know? And, you know, and, and time and time again, you just discovered none of that's here. You know, it's just like. There's no fat load tossing? <laughs> <laughs> well, Careful well, how you answer I, that. Actually, actually. Being chubby here is like a huge, huge benefit because, you know, if you're a little chubby, it means you're wealthy. And so it's it means, like the medieval times. Yeah, it, it very much is in the sense. And, and, you know, it's the market. As a man in Asia, no matter where you are in Asia, it's not about your passport. It's not about your money. It's just the market. You know, if you ask any Asian, I shouldn't speak in such absolute terms, but if, if you ask most Asian women, you know, why would you want a white guy over a, a, a Cambodian or a Thai or a Filipino man? The Filipinos are really vocal. They'll just say, um, well, the boyfriends I've had in the Philippines have too many ladies, drink too much, smoke too much, don't have a job. Uh, so they're like lead guitar players. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spend their money on the, the chicken fights or the... Oh. the the Thai boxing and they're not romantic, you know? And so, you know, here comes, you know, yeah, chubby, romance. wubby, man, boob, Tim, you know, <laughs> that's your yeah, screen and, name. And, you know, and like, I got a job and, you know, and, and I, 
you know, I don't drink too much. I don't smoke. And, you know, and suddenly, like, here's this almost 50-year-old chubby man. And, like, I'm the prize. (laughs) (laughs) It's just mind-blowing. And then when you start looking around and you start seeing these dudes who, like, you know, you feel kind of bad for the for the woman, you know, it's like, dude, could you put a clean shirt on and brush your teeth, comb your hair, you know? But like, he's a prize, actually. He's just like some nice guy. Wow. I, Mark, you, you would, if you come here, you'll love it because there's this new bar called Larry's, and it's owned by a San Diego guy who lived in Vietnam for 24 years. And Larry's very cool, but it's kind of become the American bar. And I have met so many guys from Chicago in that bar. Really? Yeah, I think every bricklayer from Chicago. It, is in Larry's bar in, in <laughs> Cambodia, you know, and looking for women or just living. Um, well, the, a lot of them are transitioning over. Like they're like, I'm here for five months, you know, I'm here for the winter, and then I'm going back. I'm getting my affairs in order, and then I'm moving here. Because typically, in 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 my experience, um, most of the guys that I that I've known that go over there to meet women, yourself not included. In my opinion, they're going over there because nobody will date them here in America. So well, they're kind I, of like it's like the island of broken toys. True. That's not true. Maybe they have a thing for you know Asian women that are really nice, and the Asian women here are different. Maybe they just figure that they can. Maybe find the women them there. in America talk back too much. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's it. You know what? Did you ever no, think of that? Um, no, I didn't think of that. That's that. You know, that's true to an extent. That really is actually true. But it's not so much as like that they don't have value in America. It's that that they're not attractive to an American women because they're tired of the kind of the war, the sexes of America. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not, it's not that they couldn't date in America and they couldn't get a girlfriend. And, and also it's, you got to remember this is like, you know, you say you grow up in a small town and you listen to, you got three radio stations and you listen to the three radio stations and you go, Oh, I like that, you know, K blob, you know, K blob's my favorite. But then you go visit your cousin in another in New York and where they got 25 radio stations and you go, oh, what I thought was good back in my town is actually absolute crap. You know, people become a victim of their of cocooning in their own like little bubble. And then the minute they get outside of that, they go, oh, my you know, goodness, mm-hmm. I thought all oh, that was really good. But actually, for me personally, this is so much better. And that's and, why people should travel. Right. The and ignorance, that's the why ignorance we... goes away when you're exposed to more yeah. things and, and that's why we try yeah. to bring this show to as many people as possible and bring interesting people like yourself because that really is the essence of travel you are living what we preach you know you, you don't want to be the guy that goes to rome and eats in the mcdonald's and stays in the holiday inn when you go to a different culture ideally if you really want to get your money's worth you want to immerse yourself in, in it which is is exactly what you're doing and i just think it's I, it, you you sound so happy. It just sounds like such a phenomenal life. I'm really happy for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's so far so good. And you know, I got this job in Cambodia just by visiting and then just doing a Google search. So, you know, people, you you can do it. You can figure if you want to do it, you can do it, and you figure a way to design your life so that you can do it. You know, yeah. it's easy for me because I'm single and I don't have kids. But figure what, you know. figure out what you love. Mm-hmm. And where you want to be, and find a way to make it happen. Where yeah, can... and get and get rid of all your things because yeah. things are the stealers of time. Ooh, I want that T-shirt. Of course, <laughs> then that would be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a life! I know, fun, so Not different, like fun, and 
You know, you can just unplug. It makes me think of MASH, the TV series. How it was all just kind of dusty Lying and by the dirty. Seat of your pants. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? It, it sounds amazing, and uh, hopefully we'll go, be able to go out there. I would love to visit Cambodia, and I would love to watch Cambodian Idol. <laughs> or some of these. Maybe we can get a clip and put it Cambo- in the show. Right, we'll do that. We'll uh, f- go to our uh, website, which is a fork on the road show. And we'll show. find a clip for you and put it on there. Yeah, and, and follow us on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram. I'm uh, Mark DiCarlo on Twitter. I'm Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram. We'll post some pictures of Tim and links to videos of his various shows. Um, be an interesting interesting thing to see. Also, check in with my Huffington Post travel blog. Write different pieces for the Huffington Post on where we go, what we do. It's got pictures and video, and it's a great way to uh, keep up with us and the show. And tell your friends, we are trying to get to one million listeners by the 4th of July. By the 4th? That's kind of quick. You know what? We have 750,000. We can get more. So let's, uh, if every one of their friends told someone else to subscribe to the show, we'd be done in a day. So basically, if it hasn't happened yet, you are all lazy. It's your fault. All right, that is it for this episode. Next week, we'll be coming to you from the Randolph Street Market in Chicago, Illinois. We're going to be there this weekend, the 24th and 25th. If you're in the Chicagoland area and you'd like discount tickets, check in with me on Instagram. I'll give you the code and you can get them. So uh, until we talk to you from Chicago next week, I'm Mark DiCarlo. And I'm Traveling Diva. And we'll see you on a fork on the road. I'm be the sugar in your coffee, baby. I'm be a cup of tea. Be the cool breeze on a warm summer's evening. I'd be all that you need. I know you want it. You got to have it. The way you like it, the girls like candy, and that's the fact. I'll be your candy man, baby. Be your sugar daddy.